Warning, the following episode contains violent content, but you can skip it. Hello, hello, Marva. Hi, Sabrina. As if we haven't just been talking for like the past hour. I know, now that we're, yeah, an hour into our recording time. Welcome. This is Drew and Told. <laughs> Welcome to Sistry Untold. We are your sisters and hosts, Marva and Sabrina. And on this podcast, we look at history through the eyes of sisterhood. I was literally preparing to be like, that was perfect. And then you were like, we look at. Uh, and there was a bit of hesitation. <laughs> but aside from that, it was quite perfect. That phrase that we've said 20,000 times, but struggle with every single time. Yeah, it's just like the, what actually do we do here? I'm not so sure. Yeah, it's always a mystery. The sistery mystery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Well, today we have a sistery, obviously. I should hope so. You should hope so, yeah. I'm actually like quite excited about this episode because, I don't know, you haven't heard about it, I think, at all. Well, I did post about it on Instagram a few months ago um, during Hispanic Heritage Month, because that's when I started researching for this episode. Um, yeah, I, I think that I, when we first started talking about doing this podcast, made a list of all the sisters that I would do, and I put them on that list, but I don't remember Really? Why. Yeah. Wow, oh my gosh. I think I just Googled, like, famous sisters, and their name came up, and um. I was like, <laughs> Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, they are very famous sisters, but I had never heard of them before. Um, so let's stop the suspense. <laughs> it's, they're the Mirabal sisters. Um, and I was drawn to their story because they're actually biological sisters, which we don't often cover on this podcast, and also because they just led really incredible lives and had a huge impact on the world. So... The women, now known collectively as the Mirabal sisters, were named Minerva, Patria, and Maria Teresa. And they had one other sister called Felicia Adela, who was nicknamed Didi. And she was the second oldest, but she wasn't really involved in the story we're talking about. So we aren't going to focus on her as much. But she'll come back into the picture at the end. And just sorry to all middle sisters everywhere for kind of... <laughs> Keeping her out of this narrative. It's not my fault. She could have done more. I just got, like, sudden anxiety about, like, whenever some future historians do an episode about the Yates sisters and they're Aww. like, Marva's the one that just wasn't really that important, so no. we're just oh going to leave gosh. her out. No, that won't happen. Don't worry. We'll all be important. We can learn from them. We can be better. <laughs> just kidding. They're already amazing. <laughs> So the Mirabal sisters were born in Ojo de Agua, a small town in the Dominican Republic, to Enrique Mirabal Fernandez and Mercedes Reyes Camilo. Patria was the oldest. She was born on February 27, 1924, and she was born on Dominican Independence Day, which is why her parents named her Patria, or Homeland in English. Oh, like patriotic? Yes, yeah, very similar. And I was going to mention that Last time, I think we said that 
the latest episodes we've done are like World War II. But this mm-hmm. one actually takes place after World War II. It takes place mostly in the 1950s and 60s. So moving forward a little bit. So yeah, next in line was Felicia Vela, who I mentioned was called Didi. And then Minerva was the third, and she was born in March 1927. And their youngest sister, Maria Teresa, was significantly younger than her older sisters, and she was born in October 1935. How much of an age difference is it between the oldest and the youngest? Like 11 years. Okay. Yeah. So both of them were born, like, kind of close together, like, within three years of each other, and then she was a lot younger. Mm Mm-hmm. So before the youngest Mirabel sister was even born, the Dominican Republic had come under the leadership of an infamous dictator named Rafael Trujillo. Have you heard of him, Marva? No, but I love the name Rafael. You're not going to love it after hearing about him. We'll see about that. I really hope you don't. (laughs) Okay. So Trujillo was nicknamed El Jefe, or the boss. And he was a dictator of the Dominican Republic from 1930 to 1961. During that time, he served as president from 1930 to 1938, and again in 1942 to 1952. But in 1934, he had promoted himself to generalismo, which is the highest-ranking military official. So he ruled as an unelected military leader. And after 1952, he was considered an unelected caudillo, which translates to military strongman who, like, ruled behind figurehead presidents. So he still was in power consistently for over 30 years. Okay. And his dictatorship was one of the bloodiest eras in the history of the Americas. Even before he was officially elected in 1930, he had enforced political repression through gangs of paramilitary henchmen who terrorized his opponents before and after his landslide victory in a rigged election. He was also obsessed with his public image and created a cult of personality, which is when a leader uses propaganda and mass media to curate a certain public image. And this looked like creating lots of monuments in his honor and changing the name of the city's capital to Ciudad Trujillo, which means like Trujillo City. But Mm -hmm. it also meant assassinating people who disparaged him, like when he had a student who wrote a dissertation about his regime assassinated. Uh, He assassinated a student? Like a college student. Dang, okay. Yeah. Ruthless. Mm -hmm. I like it. Marva, don't like him. He's caused so much suffering. Oh my gosh. I'm joking. He's responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of people by committing state terrorism against his own citizens and people of other countries. And like many other Midwest... Sorry, Midwestern... (laughs) I literally thought that, and I was like, don't say it. Like like many other mid-20th century Latin American dictators, the U.S. played a role in Trujillo's rise to power. According to Nancy Robinson, who wrote Women's Political Participation in the Dominican Republic, the case of the Mirabal sisters, he ran the DR like, quote, a family business and owned much of the country. He controlled every aspect of Dominican life, Radio, the mail, the press, airport arrivals and departures, who got passports and who didn't, and rose to power through the U.S.-supported National Guard. Awkward. Yeah, really bad. The U.S. had been, like, occupying the Dominican Republic for, like, 
eight years before this, before he rose to power, and, like, had, like, really supported him. So we did play, like, an integral role in, like, setting this up, which is really shameful. I think that, like, although this is very different, but because I just watched the House of Gucci movie, I'm also thinking about, like, him and, like, his, like, inner circle and, like, how glam their lives would be, like. Mm. Oh, yes. No, I was just about to say that during the course of his, like, reign or rule, he had a net worth of $800 million, which today is $5.3 billion. So he was living, like, a lush, lush lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be, like, he'd be on Selling Sunset nowadays, like, looking for Yeah, buying lots of properties, yeah. Yeah. But I definitely do not want to romanticize this man or his life at all. Um, No. And Trujillo also had an appetite for young women, so much so that the families in the Dominican Republic would hide their daughters when Trujillo visited their towns. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Because if he saw someone he liked, there was no way for the family to reject the invitations that would come later by messenger requesting the girl. Trujillo was married three times. Once in 1913, then again in 1927 and 1937, but that didn't stop him from going after unwilling women who caught his eye. He would actively send out beauty scouts called Buscones to the countryside to find new women and girls for him. Oh my gosh, that is nasty. I know, it's really terrifying. Um, and I say, and girls, because the people these scouts brought back were often schoolgirls. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. A documentary called Codename Butterflies about the Mirabal sisters said that he demanded a teenage virgin be brought to him every night. And since he basically owned everything and everyone, he could make that happen. Goodness gracious. Yeah. This is, like, the one of the worst parts to me is that some fathers even willingly brought their daughters to Trujillo to gain his favor. So mm-hmm. it was just a super really messed up and twisted system that he created and yeah so that's the world the Mirabal sisters were growing up in but back to their lives the Mirabal family was pretty wealthy they owned some land in their provincial town that had been in their family for generations and also owned a dry goods store Minerva convinced her parents to send the three older girls to a Catholic boarding school called Colegio Immaculada Concepcion de la Vega in 1938, and the youngest sister, Maria Teresa, would ultimately attend there too. It was one of the best schools in the country where most wealthy families sent their daughters. At school, the girls learned about the atrocities of the Trujillo regime for the first time because they had been more or less sheltered for it from it during their life in the countryside. And some of the girls they went to school with even came from families who had been targeted by Trujillo's regime or had a parent killed by the regime. And politically, the Mirabal family opposed opposed Trujillo. And we know this because it was typical to have portraits of the dictator in every home that usually had a phrase like, en este hogar Trujillo es el jefe, which means like, in this home, Trujillo is the boss. And who have, like, mm-hmm. a portrait of him. And mm-hmm. one source said that the Mirabals didn't have one, whereas another one said that they did have one, but the girls resented the portrait, and so, like, they just had it out of, like, obligation. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so Minerva, um, the third youngest daughter, was really exceptional, and most of the things written about 
the sisters focuses on her the most. But before she became a significant force politically later in life, as we'll talk about, she was amazing as a girl. She was really beautiful to the point that she would turn heads, and she was a talented gardener and artist, as well as a student. She enjoyed reading philosophy and writing and reciting poetry. Patria, who was the oldest, was super religious, and she also loved painting and gardening, and her flower beds would draw the attention of her neighbors. And she was really protective of her younger sisters, the way older sisters might relate to listening. <laughs> you better protect me, Martha, is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, if I'm we're ever in a dictatorship. You're being too beautiful and fragile oh my and girly to do anything. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, Minerva is not fragile. You better watch out for okay. that girl. I just feel like she's out there gardening and painting. She seems very... Yeah. And reading yeah. philosophy. She knows what's up. She's getting ready. Okay. Um, yeah. And then Maria Teresa, she grew up hearing the horrors of the regime from her older sister. So I, I got the sense that she didn't have as much like the sheltered kind of life mm-hmm. as they did. They were also born before he officially came to power versus like she was born five years into his regime already. Mm-hmm. And Minerva was like teaching her a lot about the regime and Trujillo. And she ended up really like admiring Minerva and following in her footsteps. So Patria, um, like we had men- I had mentioned, was really religious, and she planned to become a nun. But she fell in love with a farmer named Pedro Gonzalez and married him in 1941 at the age of 17. When Minerva graduated from high school a couple years later in 1944, she went on to study law at the University of Santo Domingo in 1946. And then Minerva had a political awakening while she was there as like an undergrad. She discovered this leftist organization called Juventud Dominicana, which means Dominican Youth, which organized protests on the campus. And during Minerva's late teen years, she had had the misfortune of catching the dictator's eye. He started sending invitations to social events, which she and her family could not refuse. The first party they're invited to was in Santiago on June 24th, 1949. And then they're invited to another party in Jarabacoa on August 13th, 1949. So a couple months later. I feel like they, like I was thinking this before, like going to an all girls boarding school, like I feel like that would be like prime location for the like dictator guy to like go and find Mm. his like conquest so like I would have yeah. like been like no stay home in the countryside you know yeah but I mean he was like sending scouts into the countryside as well yeah. I feel like if anything they might be safer there because that's where like most of the wealthy families sent their children um mm-hmm. and something I didn't mention is that Trujillo was like the godfather to like hundreds of babies every year and like because like when like wealthy families would like have babies they would often like make him the godfather so like he mm-hmm. had like a closer relationship Obviously, like, the leaders usually have a close relationship with, like, wealthy people than, like, random, Mm -hmm. like, people in the countryside. So, like, I think it would probably be safer to send them there where, like, Mm. but then again, like, some of the girls there, their families had already been targeted. So no one's really, like, safe from him. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, Yeah. So the third party they were invited to is the most eventful one that you'll read about the most when you read about their story. 
So this party was near this the capital city in San Cristobal province. And given Trujillo's reputation and the fact that the two younger girls were young, beautiful, and unmarried, I can only imagine the dread the family felt at each of these invitations. So at the time of this party, Minerva was 22 and Trujillo was 58. And mm-hmm. Trujillo invited the whole Mirabal family, but their mother was sick, so she couldn't attend. But the rest of the family did attend. And Didi's husband recalls that when they first arrived at the party, he immediately got a bad feeling about it. Um, mm-hmm. At the party, Trujillo's Secretary of State repeatedly asked Minerva to dance until she finally gave in and agreed. And after they had danced one number together, he passed her on to the dictator. Most commonly, the story goes that he tried to make a pass at Minerva, and courageous woman that she is, she slapped him across the face. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But her- get it, girl, but also maybe not. Yeah, super risky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a couple things I read said that's what had happened. But her daughter, who's in a documentary, um, the, the Codename Butterflies documentary, she obviously wasn't born at the time, but she heard the story through her family a different way and said that it was more of a metaphorical slap to his dignity. Um, okay. But either way, he was upset. Mm-hmm. He might even be more upset by, like, getting a dignity slap because, like, some, if yeah. like she said something embarrassing or something, like... Yeah, it's, like, emasculating, kind of. Yeah. 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 So... Fortunately, though, the party was outside and a tropical storm broke out, which gave the Mirabal family a chance to make a hasty exit, which apparently mm-hmm. angered Trujillo even more because it was like um, etiquette not to leave until he left at a party he was throwing. But okay. they like escaped and he ordered a military checkpoint to stop their car, but it was too late. Oh they were already gosh. gone. Yeah. This is so excessive. No, it's literally crazy. I was like, while I was researching this, I was like, what kind of person is this that, like, can rise mm-hmm. to power, have, like, just insane level of, like, narcissism, but also so many people supporting him? Like, it's just mm-hmm. so crazy. And then, like, stay in power for so long. Like, just through fear. Like, yeah. and, like, the, like, facade of love, I guess. But mm-hmm. it's, like, not real at all. So crazy. So, even though they got away from the party, the family could not escape the consequences of Minerva's action. The party was the beginning of more than a decade of suffering for the Mirabal family at the hands of Trujillo. So, their father was arrested the next day after the party and imprisoned. And the day after that, Minerva and her mother were arrested and kept at the Hotel Nacional, which was not like, just like, oh, come say this hotel. They were like, kept there against their will. Um, <laughs> And every day, Trujillo's henchmen took Minerva from the hotel for interrogation sessions, where they accused her of being a communist and demanded that she write an apology to the dictator, but she refused. Eventually, the regime detained three of her closest friends and interrogated them, too. Interrogated them about what, though? Like, what is there to know? I guess her being a communist, I don't really know. Okay. Um, it's just all just... a. I don't know, drama for no reason. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the Mirabals had wealthy friends with personal connections to officials in Trujillo's regime, and they appealed for the family's freedom, and eventually, through the help of Trujillo's brother, they were released. 
I also read in the Women's Political Participation in the Dominican Republic, the case of the Mirabal sisters, that Trujillo tried to persuade Minerva into sleeping with him in exchange for her father's release, but I don't think she ever agreed to that. Mm-hmm. And even after their release, the family was harassed by Trujillo's regime and ostracized by their neighbors. Their father sent formal apologies to various leaders in the regime, professing loyalty to Trujillo, but it didn't help. And about a year and a half later, their father was caught declining to buy an expensive new book that glorified the dictator, and the police put him in prison for a month. Like, that's how crazy his cult of personality is. Like, yeah. So, once again, Minerva and her mother were arrested and kept in a hotel, this time the Hotel Presidente. Because the dad didn't buy the book? Yeah, that's, like, the cover. Like, that's the reason. But it's, like, that's obviously uh-huh. not an actual reason to arrest, like, three people in a family. It's yeah. Just, yeah. So, of course, one of the secretaries of state, the same one who had been at that party, tried to coerce Minerva into meeting with Trujillo alone in a hotel room, but she said she would rather kill herself. Once again, Trujillo's younger brother intervened and arranged a meeting with Minerva, her mom, and the dictator. Minerva was still ice cold to the dictator when he tried to flirt with her, but he did end up releasing her father from prison and allowed him to stay with Minerva and her mom in a hotel. Still against their will, but better Mm -hmm. than him being in isolation in the prison. Yeah. After a month, he finally allowed them to go home. So it's just really just, like, he's just messing with them at this point. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's really, like, she hurt his ego. And he was just looking for any way to, like, disrupt their lives. It sounds sounds like even his brother's like, okay, you've taken this a bit far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, truly. So once again, going home wasn't a total safe haven. They returned to a life of constant threats and surveillance. Their business failed, and their father returned a broken man who struggled with both his physical and mental health and died not long after all of this happened. Um, And after his death, Didi, the second oldest sister, took over the family's finances. Luckily, Trujillo allowed Minerva to attend law school, which had been her dream ever since she was a little girl, and she started studying in 1952. Her parents didn't want her to go because they were worried that if she got involved in politics, she would be killed, but she Mm -hmm. pursued her dream anyways, and her mom was especially worried, and according to her granddaughter, had always had good intuition and viewed this as a sort of premonition, which we can debate later if she actually was having that or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But while studying there, she lived at Colegio Vedruna convent with the Carmelite nuns which if you remember from our episode I do. on yeah Sor Juan Inez and Santa Teresa they were also Carmelite nuns so little connection there different countries but same mm-hmm. order um and Minerva's younger sister Maria Teresa followed in her sister's footsteps and attended the University of Santo Domingo to study engineering and they lived together throughout most of their time at the university is really sweet Mm -hmm. just like how we lived together for that month when you were at university (laughs) yes just like that minerva's second year of law school got off to a rocky start trujillo was back to harassing the family and pressed the university to prevent her from returning she started receiving threats in the street and even at the convent by trujillo supporters 
this man can literally hold a grudge like nobody I've ever heard Like, of. at this point, it's been, like, literally, like, three or four years. Yeah. Minerva tried to get on Trujillo's good side again by delivering a flattering speech for his birthday celebration in 1953. But, once again, sources kind of disagree on this. Some say that he forced her to do this. Um, I also read that the speech was kind of, like, sassy. Even though it was, like, flattering, it was, like, had, like, an under... Tone or, mm-hmm. or whatever, but either way, it kind of like worked. She didn't end up getting kicked out of school. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mentioned that her her dad had passed away. That was in December of 1953, and Minerva, after that, took a break at her uncle's home in Harabacoa. That's when she met a fellow law student named Manolo, and he was entering his fourth year of law school, and Minerva was entering her second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Two years later, on November 20th, 1955, Minerva and Manolo got married. And when Minerva returned to the university for a third year of law school, she moved into where Manolo had lived before he graduated, in the home of Isabel Meyer, who was ironically an old and influential friend of the dictator, as well as a leader of the growing Dominican feminist movement. Which I'm just like, the amount of cognitive dissonance this woman had to have to be, like, (laughs) friends with him and also be a a feminist, I don't even know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, Minerva eventually also got involved in the Dominican feminist movement. So, yeah, according to Isabel's biographer, the two developed a close and really positive relationship, which I, again, don't understand how that could happen. Yeah. (laughs) So. Whatever works, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Minerva gave birth to a daughter, Minerva Josefina Tavares Mirabal, on August 31st, 1956. Then in July 1957, she presented her capstone thesis of her law studies and dedicated her work to her daughter, husband, and the dictator Trujillo. But this was clearly just a formality because I guess everyone would just do that because mm-hmm. the thesis actually criticized the government. And at first, when he found out about this, the dictator ordered her expulsion, but then relented and allowed her to graduate summa cum laude on October 28, 1957, making her the first woman to graduate from law school in the Dominican Republic. Oh, dang. Okay. Yeah. Ever vindictive, though, Trujillo stripped her diploma of its honors, and she was unable to obtain a license to actually practice law. And this was, like, fully within his rights as a leader because he controlled who got married, got professional degrees, who could leave the country, enter the country. Like, he controlled everything in people's lives, so. How does he have, like, the time? I know. (laughs) But, I mean, like, he doesn't probably care about everyone, but this one girl who slapped his dignity, he's, like. I know, but I'm just, like, I'm trying to, like, go to the gym and make dinner in the same day, and I'm, like, it's impossible. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's very true. I'm just trying to watch Gossip Girl. (laughs) And I'm like, this is overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. So the youngest sister, Maria Teresa, married Leandro R. Guzman, who was an engineer and like an anti-Trujillo supporter. And they got married on Valentine's Day in 1958. But when they first started talking... He tells a story about how he tried to hold her hand, and he said, like, back then, like, holding a girl's hand meant you loved her. And if she (laughs) held your hand back, that meant she loved you. 
And he said that she took her hand back and said, before you hold my hand, tell me what your family thinks of Trujillo. And he was like, oh, like, we're all against him. And she, like, held his hand, which I just thought was a really cute story. That really could have backfired, though. Like, I know, yeah. But, I mean, then you know, and then you be like, don't hold my hand then. Bye. I know, but what if he's like, I really love Trujillo, and then she's like, well, then you can't love me. And then he's like, well, now I'm going to get you arrested because I know that you're anti The whole family is already, like, you know, blacklisted by the Mm -hmm. dictator so i don't think it's like really a secret that her family is against him okay um yeah so later that year minerva gave birth to another child this time a son named manuel enrique on august 14th um and then patria had three children but i wasn't able to find the dates when they were born she was kind of like one of the last to get political and stuff, so there's just, like, not a lot of information about her. Most stuff is just about Minerva, so sorry Mm -hmm. about that. But, yeah, so after Minerva graduated, she and her sisters, Patria and Maria Teresa, started secretly listening to a shortwave radio station called Radio Rumbo, which was broadcast from Venezuela to learn about a revolution in Cuba led by Fidel Castro against their dictator. Well, obviously now we have bad feelings about him, but it was like to them a good thing because they were uh, overthrowing a dictator. Uh, yeah, with it and then replacing with a new dictator. Yeah. <laughs> so even though this was a dangerous act because Trujillo's secret police would patrol the streets and they had special antennas that could intercept radios, they they were just like listening to this really quietly. Um and even domestic servants would often work as informants for Trujillo's regime, so they had to be super careful. And Fidel Castro proved successful on New Year's Day, 1959. A week later, Minerva, Maria Teresa, and their husbands met for lunch at the home of Guido D'Alessandro and his wife, Josefina Ricard, who was sister-in-law to the dictator's son. So very closely aligned not closely aligned personally but like close to the dictator Mm -hmm. um and i'm yeah i'm guessing that her views didn't align with the dictator though because minerva said quote there could not be a sentiment against obviously this is a translator quote um (laughs) there could not be a sentiment against batista in cuba more in cuba stronger than that against trujillo right here I can't explain how they could have a revolution and entomb tyrants there. And here, having the same conditions, we can't. After this, a resistance movement was born. Ooh, this got exciting. I know. But I was trying to think of, like, where I'm like, oh, like, what country's radio should they be listening to if, like, I'm saying, like, no, not Cuba. But I actually can't think of where because... I was like, yeah, like who at the time was having a successful revolution? Yeah, not really. Yeah, anyone. or like was having like a great democracy. Like, I'm like <laughs> Germany just got rid of Hitler. Like, France is always crazy. Mm. America put this guy in charge in the first place. Yeah, Russia's also crazy. You know what? Maybe there's no, there's no good one to find. Yeah, I think also like. Both being, like, Caribbean countries kind of makes you have, like, more of a association with them, probably. So it's, like, if they can do it, like, we can do it. Versus, like, even mm-hmm. if things were going, like, swell in Russia, it would be, like, okay, it's, it's, like, very different. Like, 
you know, mm-hmm. maybe like Finland or something, and just be like, look how happy they are. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, um, Finland doesn't have America like messing with them and putting dictators in power, though. So yeah, but what does Finland really have? Fish, I think. Fish, like those salty fish. I don't know. I think maybe that's Swedish. Yeah, it's Sweden. Yeah, sorry, I don't know what they have. Darkness. Yeah, lots of darkness. Facts about Finland. Marnia <laughs> podcast. Oh my god. Okay, moving on. So, like I said, at first, Patria wasn't really in, as involved in the movement. She had always had a sweet and gentle nature, and she was a mother of three children. But something changed on June 14th, 1959. On that day, a different resistance group called Movimiento de la Liberación Dominicana, which was an armed exile group supported by Cuba, attempted two seaborne and one airborne invasion of the Dominican Republic. Many of the people in this makeshift army were Trujillo's own godchildren and the children of his friends and high-ranking members of society. Trujillo's army killed everyone on board in the seaborne invasion, which was 48 men and an untold number of civilians. The Air Force, as well as civilians hoping to collect bounties, killed all but three of the 54 men in the airborne attack. The surviving three were arrested and tortured. So, this invasion was 48 people on a boat and 54 people in planes. I know. It was really it was really small. I really don't yeah. know what they were hoping to accomplish. Maybe they are just trying to, like, ruffle feathers. Maybe they knew it was, like, a suicide mission, yeah. but... Still, it's, like, over 100 no, people, like, killed. No, it's definitely, like, billions. terrible and tragic, but I'm just, like, that's not, that's not really a revolution. That's, like, a yeah. small riot. I didn't say like, it was not even really a riot. They were a resistance yeah. group. Yeah, they were mm-hmm. a resistance group. So, Patria happened to be in Constanza at the time where the airborne attack took place for, she was there for a religious retreat. And she was so horrified that she was motivated to join her sister's movement. Um, and her husband also joined at that time. But Dee Dee and Dee Dee's husband were, like, not into it. They mm-hmm. just never got involved. Patria and her husband even began hosting the meetings for the resistance movement at their house. And the movement was emboldened rather than scared off after the failed invasions on mm-hmm. June 14th. So on January 11th, of 1960 they officially named their movement the 14th of june movement in honor of those who had lost their lives that day oh that's really sweet yeah within the group the mirabal sisters were known collectively as las mariposas or the butterflies so cute yeah super cute so their goal at first was not to start a quote-unquote terrorist movement, but rather to motivate the people who were afraid to join the movement or undecided about resisting Trujillo. But they planned for more than that as well. They traveled throughout the country, organizing revolutionary cells and locating sites for armed airdrops. And they plotted an assassination for January 21st, 1960, of Trujillo. And... During the day, each of the sisters spent their lives like typical housewives, sewing clothes, cooking for their families, and attending social events. But by night, the women, their husbands, and even Patria's teenage children would make bombs and carry oh coded God. letters to different members of the movement. And in order to make the bombs, they would take gunpowder out of fireworks and then like make them, which is very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. So before they could take action on their assassination plans, a man named Fernando de la Rosa betrayed the conspiracy. Fernando was a healer, and one of the group members had gone to him to solicit supernatural help, but then he informed the secret police about the operation. Fernando. I know. Never trust a Fernando. Noted. Minerva's husband, Manolo, was the first one taken on January 15th. Oh, no. Then Minerva on January 22nd. They seized her at the Mirabal family home and forced her into a car while her son clung to her legs and cried. Oh. So sad. I feel like if this is, like, Minerva's, like, fifth time being arrested, like, she actually has pretty good luck. Yeah. I mean, it's her third time, but... Yeah, and she doesn't have good luck. She's been arrested many more times than I have, is all I'm saying. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so then they came for Maria Teresa and her husband, Leandro, Patria's husband, and her son, Nelson. They also took more than 100 members of the movement and the rest of the inner circle. Again, there are different versions of this story. So another version is that the resistance group was found out and Patria's house was burned to the ground by the secret police. And Patria's sisters were arrested at the scene and taken to prison to be questioned. Um, but so not sure if like it happened there or if they were all arrested separately, mm-hmm. basically is the difference. But either way, like Patria's house was burned down mm-hmm. and two of her sisters were arrested. And so Minerva had obviously, like you mentioned, been arrested before, but she'd never been to an actual prison. And fortunately, they were not physically tortured, probably because of international pressures, but they were forced to listen to and watch their fellow prisoners get tortured. After a short time, they were transferred to a different prison. This is Minerva and Maria Teresa we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And... In prison, their codename Butterflies took on a new meaning because they're a source of strength, joy, and inspiration for other prisoners. Oh, gosh. I thought you were going to say they, like, escaped by flying out of the thing. And I was like, <laughs> what? How would that happen? I don't that? know. I was, like, so excited. The supernatural healer came in clutch. Like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, you know what? I'm sorry yeah. about the thing where I turned you guys in. Let me get mm-hmm. you out of here. Here's some magical powers. Yeah. Fly away. <laughs> No, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, so when men being tortured were on the verge of giving up, the butterflies would assure them that things will get better and that they're going to win. They would also sing in the prison, which angered the guards because they said imprisoned women aren't supposed to sing. That's <laughs> a very specific like, rule. You know, bringing the good vibes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, so in most versions of the story, Patria somehow avoided imprisonment. Um, But one says that she was taken and then soon released. But Minerva and Maria Teresa were released and imprisoned repeatedly until they were finally released for the last time in August of 1960 as international pressures against Trujillo mounted. So this is like an eight-month period Mm -hmm. of them being like arrested, released, arrested. So at this time, the Catholic Church finally spoke out against Trujillo and ordered priests to read a letter against him in 600 churches across the country. Oh, dang. And even the U.S., a longtime Trujillo supporter, started to turn against him. And plus, they worried that if something happened to him, a communist government would take over, like, in Cuba. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of, like, in a difficult situation. 
So without warning then, Minerva and Maria Teresa's husbands were transferred to a prison hundreds of miles away. And Patria would go with her sisters to visit their imprisoned husbands. And they were kept in a prison that had been built in the 1500s, kept in solitary confinement in rooms called Kubos that only had enough space to stand upright in. Oh my gosh, this is like my absolute worst nightmare. I, I hate this so much. I literally oh, could not no. picture it. It's horrible. Oh gosh, your feet would hurt so bad. Yeah, I know. Oh, horrendous. So, their mother, who we already talked about, generally had a good sense of intuition, worried about their trip to the prison, and suspected that the Trujillo regime was plotting something against her daughters. So she like was kept telling them not to go, but a family friend offered to drive them, but he was, he was also nervous about the trip, and many of the people they asked to drive them had refused. And at this point, it was known that Trujillo considered the Mirabal sisters and the Catholic Church his biggest threats to his power. So it makes sense that people were like really nervous. And mm-hmm. their family and friends warned them that a long trip to the new prison would be the perfect time for Trujillo to have the sisters executed and make it look like a car accident. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But the butterflies were certain that Trujillo was too concerned with the international issues to kill them and make himself look bad. And they did make it to the prison safely, but even their husbands, when they got there, advised them to make it their last trip there. But Minerva and Maria Teresa told them that the dictator would never kill women, which just sound like famous last words to me, but... I know. I'm like, I am not convinced about that. I know. Yeah. So they managed to visit their husbands three times in November. And the day before their third trip, on November 25th, Minerva spoke to her dentist, who reports that that she said she knew Trujillo had planned something bad for tomorrow. She told him, compadre... Do you know the latest? They're going to, quote, accident us tomorrow. We know from a good source that we're going to have a, quote, accident in the morning. I don't know oh, why I said no. quote. That's, like, not like how you actually talk, but she said it in quote. You know what I mean? Yeah, anyways. Yeah, she was like, wink, wink, accident. Yeah, uh-huh. So the dentist later told a biographer that Minerva, quote, seemed very nervous, bothered, and she was ba- pacing back and forth, sitting, lighting cigarettes, end quote. Well, why doesn't she just cancel the trip? I know. I don't know. I feel like this is a fairly easy solution. Mm Mm-hmm. It seems like Patria knew something was up as well. On November 24th, the day before their trip, she went to visit her husband, who was still jailed at the original prison, and also went to see her sister's mother-in-law, who, like, her son was in the other jail, Um, Because she would usually go with them as well and told her to just rest and that she would take her place the next day and bring her son food and visit with him. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so it's it's all three sisters are going now in this trip. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So they made it to the prison at around 1 p.m. on November 25th. Their visits were cut short, however, by the guards. And there are a few different stories that tell the events of that day. And one version is the one that was printed in newspapers immediately after. Oh, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know. Marva, the story has to end. (laughs) I know. So, the first version, which is the one that was publicly announced immediately after, is that the three girls and their driver got in a car accident. 
The second story is the version that had been accepted as truth for a really long time. This is the version told by Ramon Emilio Rojas, a secret police member. And according to him, two miles away from the prison, Ramon and five of his fellow officers ambushed the Mirabal sisters. Another truck from the Dominican Bureau of Social Safety was driving behind them. One of the officers cut off the sisters' car and shouted at them to get out. Minerva and Maria Teresa obeyed, but Patria ran to the truck behind them and tried to open its door, shouting, tell them the secret police have taken the Mirabal family. They could kill us. Mm-hmm. After that, the secret police took the women into a sugarcane field and clubbed them to death. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They then placed their bodies in the back of the car and pushed it into a ravine to make it look like an accident. For 50 years, this brutal version of the story was the one most widely accepted. But there's a still more brutal version. And I would advise sensitive listeners to just skip the next 30 seconds because it is really graphic. It was hard for me to read and write. And I just don't want people to have to listen to it if they don't want to. Mm -hmm. So, based on recently declassified documents that were made available after the Freedom of Information Act, the CIA station chief, who was based in Ciudad Trujillo, sent a telegram to the American Secretary of State a week after the attack on the Mirabal sisters that told the full story. And I'm just going to read the telegram. Consulate considers it fairly certain that one sister had tongue cut out, Minerva. Another was stabbed from behind with ice pick and breasts cut off. A third had oh eyes gosh. plucked from socket. Cousin accompanying girls in Jeep had both eyes plucked from sockets and teeth pulled. Less substantial but still highly probable is report from numerous sources that girl's mother died of shock shortly after seeing bodies. Oh my gosh. In rumor category are reports girls were raped at Puerto Plata Fortress, which is the prison, in presence of husbands before being killed. The telegram goes on to say that Trujillo distributed machine guns and instructions to police and military to, quote, open fire any demonstrations of sympathy with Mirabal's. Oh my gosh, this is so horrendous. Yeah, it's literally one of the worst things I've ever read. Yeah. Yeah. So the staged car wreck was discovered the next day. Their bodies were taken to the morgue where their only surviving sister cut off Maria Teresa's bloody braids to preserve them. Their funeral was had at the church where they had been married, and then the women were buried in Ojo de Agua Cemetery in their hometown of Salcedo, next to their father. Didi, the only surviving sister, became the surrogate mother to many nieces and nephews. I was just going to say, she's just going to inherit so many kids. I know, yeah. And she had to raise them during the tumultuous time of transition out of Trujillo's dictatorship. So their murders, unsurprisingly, made international news and did nothing to solve Trujillo's problems. It seems that killing the Mirabal sisters, the butterflies who had done nothing but spread hope among dissidents for years, was the last straw for Trujillo's opposition and marked the beginning of the end of his reign. Less than six months later, he was assassinated. Later that year, the men who had tortured and killed the women were all sentenced to 20 to 30 years in prison, but within three years of their imprisonment, they had all escaped and fled to the United States. What? I know. Literally insane. Oh my gosh. I'm ready to turn this around and talk about the positives of their legacy. 
So in the years since their murder, the Mirabal sisters have become symbols for Dominican aspirations for representative democracy and the widespread evil of violence against women, which brought the Mirabal sisters to the world's attention. And Eric Paul Rorda, who wrote The Murder of the Mirabal Sisters in the Dominican Republic for the Oxford Research Encyclopedia, says that the Mirabal Sisters have attained the status of secular martyrs. And also, in a meeting of Latin American feminists in 1981 in Bogota, Colombia, the Mirabal Sisters were chosen to represent the International Day of Nonviolence Against Women on November 25th every year. Then, in 1999, the United Nations officially adopted this day as the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Oh, that is so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, tragic, but... Yeah, definitely. So, the Mirabal sisters have also had a positive influence on the perception of women in the Dominican Republic. In 1966, the Dominican president, Joaquin Balaguer, swore in 26 women in the like, sworn 26 women to be governors of the country's 26 provinces. So, all the governors wow. were women. Yeah. Oh, dang. That is cool. I know. Um, in 2020, the president, Luis Abinader, did the same thing and only designated women as provincial governors. And in a culture where machismo is really strong, which machismo is defined as quote, a social behavior pattern in which the Latino male exhibits an overbearing attitude to anyone in position he perceives inferior to his, demanding complete subservience. This act is really amazing. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. having a country where all the governors are women is amazing anywhere and, like, very rare, mm -hmm. but especially in a culture that's dominated by machismo culture. Yeah. And they've also been remembered in things like a novel called In the Time of Butterflies by Julia Alvarez and a 2001 movie of the same title. And there's a documentary called Codename Butterflies that I mentioned a couple times that has interviews with a lot of the Mirabal family, including Dee Dee, the only surviving sister. So really cool to see that. And yeah, so definitely had a really amazing impact, but... It was, like, the result of a really tragic ending to their their young lives. They were in, like, most of them were in their 30s, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is so horrendous. Yeah. Is Dee Dee still alive? She passed away on February 1st, 2014. She was, like, around 90. I mean, she did live a, like, good long mm -hmm. life. For sure. Yeah, but I am really sorry. I know that that was really dark and scary, yeah. And I know we just had a previous episode with, like, really violent themes. I hope we can get away from this. I don't usually do the sad stories, so this was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. Especially just, yeah, because it's, like, such an extreme, extremely violent thing, and we didn't even know for, like, 50 years how bad it was. Mm -hmm. Like, just the regular story is already, like, horrifying. Yeah. But what actually happened is just, yeah, disgusting, so... And I feel like, actually, it's really good that Dee Dee, though, wasn't involved because then she was there to, like, take mm -hmm. care of the family and, like, pass Absolutely. on their legacy kind of thing. Ah, oh, I just didn't expect that they were going to die at the end. Oh, no. I'm shaken to mm -hmm. my core. But that was very good. Thank you for doing that episode. It was, like, super, very interesting to, like, learn about because don't know anything about Dominican Republic. 
and your Spanish is way better than my Dutch, so <laughs> good. Like it yeah, makes up it wasn't time. perfect, yeah. so I apologize to any of our Spanish-speaking listeners. But yeah, I tried sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. I didn't try, but <laughs> I do think it's interesting and cool that we had two episodes that were about like sisters who were resisting, like, mm-hmm. you know, and like biological sisters. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, some things run in families, I guess. Yeah, I feel like I need to like process this for a minute because it was just like mm. such a roller coaster i'm like say something insightful but i'm just like ah, what you don't have to say anything you know it's just just really sad at the end of the day and mm-hmm. it's really unfair how aggressively they were targeted because they hurt a man's ego one time and eventually obviously they did more than that but yeah like they have they had their country's best interests at heart and then they were punished for it and it's just insane and women getting can be hurt and punished in ways that like men often are not yeah and so and I think that's like what their deaths kind of show us yeah it's definitely like overkill like the violence that yeah. was put on them was like way over yeah. the top and unnecessary mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and also I think yeah. I just feel a bit like sad especially like for all of them but I guess in particular for like Minerva because I just feel like her whole life was, like, this thing mm. of, like, from yeah, when she's... Yeah, like, her whole adult life. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, like, yeah. you know, it's not even, like, oh, she was having a great time, and then, like, things, like, Mm-mm. ended badly. It's just, like, this is literally yeah. the entire time you've been on this earth has been, like, defined mm. by this person having it out to get you. But, I mean, she truly never gave in, and mm-hmm. I admire her so much for that. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, I guess I just feel like women are so much more, like, revolutionary than I think of in general. Maybe I'll start a revolution. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, that's what we want to show is that women have been doing everything always. Yeah. Like, we haven't just, like, woken up and been like, oh, like, look, M- Malala exists. Like, Malala's mm-hmm. amazing. But, it's like, women have been doing this the whole yeah. time. Like, they weren't just like, I'm a fragile girl sewing. Mm-hmm. They were like, I'm a fragile girl sewing. And I make bombs at night. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well... Excited to see their pictures and posts on Instagram. Okay, good, good talk. Hope you learned a lot and take time to process it. Yeah, I know. I'm just gonna, I feel like I'm just gonna be like falling asleep tonight and be like, why didn't they just go another day? They knew that something bad was gonna happen. Um, I think it's just like not wanting to give in, you know? Like mm -hmm. that would be like admitting defeat. If they didn't go, like, it's their husbands, like, they do want to see them. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm not saying it's their fault, but I'm just saying sometimes, like, you know, just chill. Yeah. I wish they had brought guns or something. Like, yeah. Like, imagine that being the story, like. Yeah, they get into a shootout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. thank you guys for listening we will maybe next week but next week is christmas i don't know oh is next week christmas yeah my goodness jiminy cricket jiminy cricket (laughs) yeah so maybe we'll be back after the holidays (laughs) yeah Um, our consistency is being inconsistent so there you go yes okay okay so 
See you guys later. This is, is Sistery. Sistery. You sound so negative. Oh, oh my no. god. <laughs>